0: This program contains adult language and is intended for a mature audience.
1: If you have any other feedback, please leave a voice message now.
2: Uh, hello? Um, I just want to say that Akbar... I don't know his last name, but the representative I spoke to earlier today, Akbar... I am so, so grateful for what he did for me. It was really extraordinary. And I want anyone who listens to this to know that I have never had customer service like that. And I think it is so wonderful that you've given a gay Muslim drag queen from Pakistan the opportunity to work for you because he's a wonderful, wonderful man or a woman. I mean, he... He really helped me. And I think as a society, we need to recognize that these people have something to offer. The gays and the Muslims and the trans, the, the trans drag queens or whatever you call them, that we have to accept them and value these people because they're just like you or me. Maybe they're even better. And I think Akbar should be given a promotion or a raise or a gift card or something. I work in HR. And I know that customer satisfaction is the heartbeat of every business. And my whole attitude about Ring Wireless has changed because of him. So thank you. And please pass along my thanks to Akbar. This is Valerie Levac, capital L E, capital V A C. Thank you and um, goodbye.
0: This is feedback. A Q6 audio production. Written by Kevin Shea. Directed and edited by Jill Harper. Executive producer, Christine Groom. Chapter One. On Hold.
1: Thank you for calling Ring Wireless. Your call is important to us and may be recorded for quality assurance purposes. Please stay on the line until a customer service representative is available. The current wait time is 15 to 30 minutes. Thank you.
3: they put you on hold? They sure did. Could be a while.
2: 15 to 30 minutes. That's what they say.
3: Better fuel up. Coffee?
2: Oh, thank you. Cookies? Uh, sure. Actually, Marty, I'd better not.
3: It's Sunday. Can't you eat what you want?
2: I'm being extra careful.
3: I'll bring the box, and if you change your mind, you can have some. Thank you. You're beautiful. Oh, right. I like a little meat on the bone.
2: Oh, Marty, Jesus Christ. What? (laughs) Depraved. The man
3: can't be a little amorous with his wife.
2: Amorous? Yeah. That's a euphemism.
3: Ardent? Enamored? What would you call it?
2: I'd call it something else. Randy? Marty!
3: agent. <laughs>
2: I'm on the phone.
3: <laughs> You're on hold.
2: I know, but they're recording. Well, come on. They just said we're recording for quality something something, so keep it in your pants.
3: Just for the record, it's been in my pants the whole time. Oh
2: my God, Marty, you're sick! I'm
3: not listening to you on hold.
2: They're always listening.
0: Well, no need to go into that. Valerie and Martin had gone to the same suburban high school, but they weren't close friends. So it was a surprise to both of them when, at a graduation party, Valerie took Martin by the hand and pulled him into an empty bedroom. She hadn't planned on being so forward, But her final year of high school had passed quickly, a blur of exams, university applications, and school committees. There had been little time for romance. As she sat in a basement with her peers drinking her third gin and tonic, Valerie convinced herself that her whole adolescence had been squandered. She was entering her adult life with no adventures and few memories worth preserving. In these low spirits, her eyes landed on Martin, whose average looks acquired a handsome quality under the warm lamplight. Studying him across the room, as he nodded his head to the radio, she realized that he was a decent and agreeable person, unfairly overlooked by the girls in their year. She regretted not having paid him much attention, and when he got up off the couch and headed upstairs, she put down her drink and followed him. Feeling elated that he would soon be heading to university and beyond that adult life, Martin had drunk quite a bit and was headed straight for the upstairs washroom. When he emerged, he saw Valerie standing by the door, After a few moments of eye contact, Valerie took Martin by the hand and pulled him into the adjacent bedroom, put her arms around his neck, and gently pulled his head down so their lips could meet. Martin was surprised, but not displeased. Valerie was, like her friends, attractive and outgoing, a middle-class girl with decent grades. And if there was little to his eyes that distinguished her from other girls in that group, that was part of her charm. She was an ordinary girl, and Martin's previous romances had all been with girls who intimidated him, or worse, those he thought were beneath him. But Valerie, he thought, was more or less on his level. So when she pulled him toward the bed, he gladly lay down beside her. Using his fingers, Martin worked diligently to give her an orgasm, the first she had ever had with another person. She was so taken by surprise at the intensity of it that she burst out laughing. When her laughter subsided, Valerie sat up and made an effort to return the favor. But after several minutes of stroking a half-flaccid penis, Martin confessed that he had drunk seven bottles of beer, an amount of alcohol that made sustaining an erection difficult. Valerie promised she would finish him off later. She gave him one last deep kiss and returned to the party feeling blissful and warm. It wasn't a grand romance or the culmination of a long-standing infatuation but it was impulsive and dramatic and a little transgressive, all qualities Valerie had long desired to possess. Martin waited two weeks before calling Valerie to arrange another meeting, but by then it was too late. Valerie had left to spend the summer with her cousins in Montreal, and by the time she returned, Martin had left for university. There would be no opportunity for Valerie to return the favor, to finish him off, and Martin felt, not for the first time, as if there was an imbalance in the universe that he was not being given his due. It's a feeling he would return to repeatedly for the rest of his life. While Valerie revisited this memory throughout the summer, by autumn, it began to fade. She thought it unlikely she would see Martin again and couldn't imagine that years later they would reunite, get married, buy a house, have a child, bury a beloved dog, and grow old together in the same neighborhood where they had first met. Remember when
2: I spent all day on the phone with them a few months ago? I remember. And it happened again.
0: They'll fix
3: it.
2: (sighs) They better fix it.
3: Probably just a mistake.
2: Well, obviously.
3: We shouldn't have been charged.
2: We specifically changed our plan so we wouldn't be charged like this. I know, I know. They get you coming and going, these companies. And then they find a way to get you again.
3: Well, it's a business.
2: I know it's a business, but there's a difference between being an honest business and what the phone company is. They're a monopoly.
3: No. There are competitors.
2: But it's like a monopoly.
3: It's an oligopoly.
2: Yeah, exactly. And they're all in cahoots, too.
3: Well, it's not the same service we had at the beginning. The technology, the infrastructure, there's been a lot of upgrades, and there are costs to that. I know, Marty. And there's inflation. I know that. So they're going to raise the prices. You
2: know, I checked all the different phone companies, and they all charge basically the same thing. That's price fixing.
3: You'd have to prove that there was collusion. That's difficult.
2: The prices are all basically the same.
3: Look, We've been with them for however many years now, and it's in their interest to make us happy.
2: I hope so. And we
3: always cancel if we're not satisfied.
2: Yeah, I might do that.
3: It would be within our rights.
2: Yeah. I can buy a t-shirt for $6 at Walmart. This bill's is almost $100. It's shameful. Val, They're greedy. That's what they are.
3: It's a business, just like Walmart.
2: Walmart is cheap. Costco is cheap. McDonald's is cheap. There are lots of businesses that save you money and make a profit. They don't nickel and dime you. They don't rob you. Yeah. What are we even paying for? What do these companies even have to do once everything is set up? The antenna doesn't get a salary.
3: There's a big upfront cost about setting it up. Any infrastructure is like that. There's a capital investment.
2: There should be limits. This is an essential service. You can't survive without a phone. It's like water. I have to pee. Take this. If they answer, tell them to wait until I get back. I want to talk to them.
0: You can't ask them to wait.
2: They should know what it feels like.
0: Valerie entered university as an English major, but a handsome, charismatic TA convinced her to switch to psychology. They were in a relationship for three years, and Valerie spent much of that time fantasizing about their lives as married clinical psychologists. But when he received a fellowship in Colorado, he broke up with her and moved away. Devastated, Valerie moved back home and found herself unable to socialize or search for a job. The idea of graduate school faded away. She began drinking heavily and dated a series of insensitive, unhappy men, the last of which cheated on her repeatedly. And then, on a grey winter day, she ran into Martin at the supermarket. After his engineering program finished, he had taken a year to backpack around Europe before returning to Etobicoke and taking a job with the city. He dated a number of women, and found irresolvable fault with each of them. They were too fussy, or unserious, or odd. He was clean, healthy, and good with money, and couldn't understand why it was so difficult to find a suitable wife. Seeing Valerie in the bread aisle aroused him in the particular way only those from our adolescence can. He felt not only the desire of the present, but an intoxicating nostalgia for a time when emotions ran high and anything felt possible. Added to this was a sense of unfinished business that, having lay dormant for years, came rushing back. After learning she was single, he insisted he take her to dinner that very evening. Valerie, confused and elated, agreed. Martin was the one man who had given more than he had received, and who had never hurt her. In the 42 years since, Martin remained an anchor for Valerie as she struggled through a series of career false starts that culminated in a largely unfulfilling HR job at a national chain of hardware stores.
2: Anything?
3: Do you think this is a real song? I mean, did someone write this and and then it was bought up by the phone company or or did the phone company commission it?
2: I don't like tying Uh, up the phone.
3: Some smart kid is gonna figure out a system where you don't have to wait on hold and he's gonna make a mint.
2: I think they want you to wait. I think they do it to break your spirit, Val. What?
3: Let's not get paranoid.
2: What if someone is trying to call us?
3: He can leave a message.
2: What if it's Bradley?
3: I. I don't think he'll call. If he does, he can leave a message, and we can call him back.
2: What if he forgets to leave his number?
3: We have caller ID.
2: What if he calls from a payphone or a blocked number?
3: It's unlikely.
2: I wasn't being paranoid. The telecom companies work with the government to spy on us. That's a fact. It was exposed. And you know as well as I do that the government has all kinds of programs they've developed through the military. They have long-range hypnosis cannons. They can trigger schizophrenia through high-frequency radio waves, chemicals in the water and the air. They can manipulate your thoughts, Marty. Not my thoughts. You read that article I found. It was written by a Navy doctor. All I'm saying is, who knows? All I'm saying is, it's within the realm of possibility that they know what they're doing, putting someone on hold like this forever.
3: The fewer the employees, the more money they save. That's why the wait is so long. Ha!
2: So it is greed.
3: Not in the biblical sense.
2: I'll ask Father Jerry. You do that. I will.
3: Hey, What? Er-
2: Stop it, Marty. Who is that? (laughs) No, 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 don't do the face. (laughs) You do it so well. (laughs) It's just like him.
0: That dog was a riot. Oh, God love him. Pogo was a three-legged schnauzer Martin gave Valerie shortly after they were married. While they had similar preferences and a passionate physical life, They frequently fell into an antagonistic dynamic, even or especially when the issue at stake was of no particular consequence. In theory, Valerie appreciated Martin's stubbornness with her since he was so rarely willing to stick up for himself otherwise. But after one particularly heated argument about property taxes, Martin called Valerie a superficial idiot and she burst into tears. Plagued by guilt and a sense that his immediate repeated apologies were insufficient, Martin drove to the pound the next morning and picked out Pogo, a dog with such a pathetically needy face and disposition that Martin was convinced Valerie would be unable to resist. Indeed, she was thrilled with the gift. The dog became the center of their lives until the arrival of their son, Bradley. Pogo lived for 17 years until he died of a brain hemorrhage. The veterinarian said it was the oldest schnauzer she had ever seen, and were it not for the hemorrhage, it could have easily lived another 12 to 18 months. Pogo's sudden death coincided with Bradley leaving home at the age of 16, an event that would become the central trauma of their lives. Despite the connection between their beloved dog and their troubled son, Pogo's memory retained an aura of brightness and mirth, fondly evoked through Martin's lively impressions. What should we have for dinner? Steak? We could have steak. We've
2: got peas in the freezer.
0: All right then.
3: Peas and steak. Or salmon. Salmon works too.
2: With teriyaki? I can
3: Oh, Carl's on.
2: Oh, be a dear and unmute it.
3: Just a
4: second. My point is that the internet came around during one of the most harmonious times in this country's history, racially speaking. We
1: should recognize that the KKK's ideology isn't that different from what you'll find today online, with the difference being that it's right out there in the open for anyone to stumble on. And in fact, many platforms push people towards. I find
4: it surprising that you're making this argument. It seems to me that if the internet has a bias, it's against white people.
1: How do you figure?
4: A lot of very serious and popular thinkers have had their livelihoods destroyed because liberal tech giants kicked them off their platforms.
1: As I discuss in my book, those tech giants have played a key role in funneling people towards white supremacist content.
4: What does white supremacist mean? Can you give me a definition? Because it seems to me that term gets used to talk about conservative voices. It gets used to talk about police. Basically, anyone the left disagrees with. Well, there are plenty of white people suffering yeah, right, right
3: and You can't talk about it's it. It's people
1: of color that what are getting here? killed its worshippers in mosques and synagogues, not to mention how this ideology props up systemic racism. Here's what I don't racism. understand. Let
4: her finish. You go around accusing white people of being racist, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the kind of generalization that literally defines the word racist. You want to have it both ways. I'd appreciate it if you didn't interrupt I me on my I can explain program. what I mean by the systemic. The little guy in this country has been pushed around for too long by the academics, by the media, and by a set of politicians who want to undermine all that we hold dear. And now we're getting blamed for going on the internet. We're getting attacked for 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 what? For having conversations? For having
1: thoughts? If the thoughts and conversations didn't lead to people getting killed, I wouldn't have spent. I think years you're blaming white people on the internet
4: it. for the actions of a few disturbed individuals. I mean. What do you suggest we do? Uh, Make it illegal to post things online?
1: I am all for free speech, Carl. That's why I'm here, trying to get my point out. By systemic racism, I mean... We have to go to
4: commercial, but stay with us as we'll have more from Dr. Bailey, and then later we're going to talk with a retired Air Force pilot about the recent UFO leaks and what they mean for national security.
3: Agitated?
1: Afraid? Ask your doctor about clairbuterol.
2: Maybe we should get some. What? Claire Buterol. <laughs> right. Well, maybe. He really winds him up.
3: And he pinned her right to the wall.
2: I wish it was more of a discussion to hear both sides. Well, she knows she
3: doesn't have a case.
2: Well, we won't know if he never lets her speak. Well, I
3: wouldn't get your hopes up. Academics are all caught up in that PC, woke, left-wing ideology. I mean, same with the media, with government. I don't know why he bothers having these people on, frankly.
2: It's nice to hear the other side.
3: Systemic racism. There's racist people out there, but I mean this idea that the system is somehow racist, I mean, it's a democracy. We're living in a democracy. You can do whatever you want. You can, you know, you can work hard, but you know, people love to complain.
2: I thought it was interesting what you said about the online... And he's right. It's white
3: people that get victimized these days.
2: Yeah, maybe. I mean, if you
3: get called a racist now, it's like a a death sentence. Remember what happened to you with, um, what's her name? the Chinese lady. Tiffany? That was a
2: misunderstanding. Well, you were all upset about it. I thought she overreacted, but we're fine now, we're fine. We talked it out. And she's Vietnamese.
3: But that's why it's so bad that people blow everything out of proportion. Because then, when there is a racism, a real racist thing happens, you're just turned off by the whole thing, you know?
2: Uh Uh-huh. What she said about how online, people getting pushed into it, It makes me think about Bradley. I
3: don't
0: know about that. In
2: some of his videos... Val, can we
0: not? Please. It had been two weeks since the police visited and asked if they had any knowledge of their son's whereabouts. Two weeks since they learned that he was a person of interest in a criminal investigation. Two weeks since the discovery that their son had created a new life for himself on the internet. That morning, Valerie and Martin had gone to service at their Catholic Church, then eaten pancakes while Martin did the Sudoku in the paper. Martin was retired, but Valerie still worked and cherished these Sundays they had together. When the chores were done and she could forget about the sad feeling she had sometimes, that her work would never provide her the kind of satisfaction Martin got building and maintaining reservoirs for the municipality. On Sundays, they had each other's company and could watch TV while Martin did his Sudoku or a crossword and Valerie read Facebook on the iPad she had been gifted for Christmas. But Sundays were different now. The alarming news of their son, the details of the case, the videos they had seen, all of it was difficult to suppress despite Valerie's efforts. The only task she had set for herself that day was calling the phone company to correct an error on their bill. While part of her resented the imposition, another hidden part of her was grateful that her anger and anxiety could be displaced onto a situation she felt was in her control.
2: What is the hold-up?
0: Try calling back later.
2: I've waited 20 minutes already. I want to get this over with so that I can enjoy myself for once. Give me the phone. I'll talk to them. You're too soft.
3: Oh, I am, am I?
2: When it comes to sales clerks or waiters, you let them walk all over you.
3: That's not true.
2: Those vegetables they served you were still frozen. No,
3: no. They were a little cold. And
2: even then, you wouldn't send it back. And you still gave them 15%. But
3: it's not the waiter's fault. That
2: whole meal should have been free.
3: I don't like to make a fuss.
2: Exactly. But a fuss must be made. They need to account for what happened. They need to know what they're... Tra- oh, it's ringing. It's ringing.
1: Hello. Thank you for calling Ring Wireless. This is Akbar speaking. How are you today? This is Akbar Shahzad. He's 34, fit and handsome with short, bleach blonde hair. He has a gentle face and large, sensitive eyes. Akbar stumbled into the Ring Wireless Call Center today, determined to forget his ex-boyfriend and the chaotic events of the past 24 hours. Yes, he made a mistake. A big one. But he will not let this regret distract him from the constructive, healthy parts of his life. Today, Akbar tells himself, will be a return to stability and to
2: peace. Well, I'm not doing well at all. In fact, I'm really very upset. There is a big, huge problem with this bill you sent us, and it's something I already talked to you people about, and I thought it was settled. Hello?
1: Hello? I'm sorry to hear that, ma'am. May I put you on hold for a moment?
0: Thank you. Feedback was written by Kevin Shea, directed and edited by Jill Harper, with music by Bram Geelan, and sound design and mastering by Tim Lindsay. Featuring performances by... Nadine Baba, David Coomber, Caitlin Driscoll, Rosemary Dunsmore, Qasim Khan, Tom McCamus, Mkasi Ogbona, Ben Sanders, Jonathan Tan, and Connor Thompson. Christine Groom was the executive producer for Q6 Audio Productions. Feedback was made possible through the support of the Canada Council for the Arts. Recording took place at Eggplant Studios in Toronto, Canada. Jack Rudy and Emily Gauguin were our audio engineers, and Mike Ronan was our producer at Eggplant. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review, share, or tell a friend. Q6 is a not-for-profit organization. If you want to support future projects, check out our website at q6.ca. That's C-U-E number six dot C-A to see what we have coming up and hit the donate button.